Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Don't think because something looks amazing or has amazing capabilities, a technological piece of gear of any type that is just, you know, landed here from another planet. We spend a lot of money in the dark. We shovel it in the, into dark spaces to develop very, very, you know, in hopes of developing very exotic technologies. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts. Hello and welcome to War College. I am your host, Matthew Galt. Producer Kevin Nodell is traveling to Germany and then the Middle East, so I'm going to be flying solo for a little while. Flying saucers, little green men, UFOs. Over the past few years, reports from U.S. Navy pilots of strange flying objects has been hitting the pages of America's newspapers. And no, not just tabloids like the Weekly World News. The New York Times is talking about UFOs. So what's going on? Is this evidence of extraterrestrial life? Lights reflecting off of swamp gas or dastardly new technology designed by America's enemies. Here to help us answer those tough questions is the editor-in-chief of The War Zone, Tyler Rogaway. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, always great to be with you guys. All right, so let's get some definitional stuff out of the way right at the top. Uh, We're not just talking about UFOs. We're also talking about USOs. And what are, like when the Navy talks about those, what do they mean specifically? Yeah, when you hear, I mean, UFO, we all kind of got an idea what that is, but it's not necessarily a flying saucer. It's some, it's just an unidentified object in airspace that's being monitored or being seen by a sensor or, you know, the human eye. Um, USOs are, you know, they come from underwater. So, and sometimes they're cross medium, at least, you know, in the past, how this, it's sort of this whole world's been defined of, of these, you know, very nebulous ideas is, um, you know, a USO can can you know act like a submarine, right? So it can it can be underneath the water, but um, now we're kind of in this realm, especially with these accounts that you mentioned, where these potential um, craft can maybe move between the two. So um, and that complicates things quite a bit, especially in our minds when we think of very different ideas of craft. When we think of something that flies through the air or that travels through uh, the medium of uh, water. Uh, but but apparently that might not be such a big barrier for whatever technology we're um, we're seeing and what pilots are seeing. All right, so this stuff used to be 
very X-Files, Art Bell, conspiracy theory fodder. Uh, you know, the History Channel is airing a television show right now about Project Blue Book. Why has this all become suddenly so public? It seems like the Navy, or at least Navy pilots, are willing to talk about this stuff much more now. Right. So in 2004, the Nimitz incident off the coast of uh, Baja, kind of the Baja Peninsula, down there in the training ranges that are, you know, some of the best training areas the United States has to offer. Um, vast areas that can be controlled and are not highly trafficked. So they can put a carrier strike group down there and have them, you know, work together on some pretty complex uh, training missions. During uh, the Nimitz's uh, run-up to their deployment, they ran into um, a series of events, but uh, the main one was a, a, a number of intercepts, and one in particular with a craft everybody calls the Tic Tac, because it looks like a flying Tic Tac, um, as how it's been described. Uh, this is like a 45-foot-long craft, white, um, has a couple little antennas underneath it, but beyond that, um, it looks literally something out of this world. And, you know, that's one thing to see that on a targeting pod, a FLIR pod, or even an electro-optical system or whatever. But um, the commander of uh, VF-41, a Super Hornet squadron, a very respected guy, uh, he flew in formation with this. He chased this thing well within visual range, closer than, you know, a lot of times aircraft will come even in a within visual range uh, dogfight. And there was other aircraft as well in that formation that saw it, uh, you know, and uh, weapon systems officers. So that story, and there's a lot more to it. This thing was picked up on radar, these things, I should say, over multiple days. It's an amazing, amazing story with many witnesses. That has been the catalyst now, you know, basically, you know, 14 years later or whatever, um, that has propelled this subject from laughable tinfoil hat territory into, hey, this might actually be something, and it's worth actually looking at. And then within the last couple months, we have had the Navy not only acknowledge that this phenomenon is real, that they are concerned with it, and they're changing their rules as to making it easier and more acceptable for all different types of sailors and pilots and, you know, naval aviators to come forward and say, hey, this is what I saw. Um, but we also have now a slew of new pilots that encountered um, craft all the way up into the within visual range uh, regime through 2014 and 2015. And there's real parallels between that and what happened in 2004. So this isn't some old story that we're kind of rehashing and trying to, you know, make new. We've seen massive movement on a level that I've never seen in my life on this particular topic. And it's something that the military is saying needs to be taken seriously in a public domain. One of the things that I found interesting in in your own reporting on this, and I think I, I want to hammer home to the audience, is the recording and networking capability of the Nimitz. Right. Um, and why that's important to this story. And I, I want you to, can you explain it to us, like why that's such a big deal? Yeah, I, it's definitely a key part of that 2004 incident. Um, at the time, the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was the first operational carrier strike group that was being uh, deployed with um, cooperative engagement capability. And that's a level of sensor fusion between radar systems and data links that allows for much higher fidelity of um, quality of tracking different targets um, within the airspace around the carrier strike group, which can range way out, hundreds of miles. Um, we're talking about SPY-1 radars on edges of class destroyers and cruisers 
as well as the Nimitz itself and the air, some of the aircraft that were, you know, in, inside that or part of the air wing there. So this was a revolutionary capability. It was in its very early stages. Um, it's matured a lot since then. But this was the first time that a carrier strike group has even, from what we can tell, even trained at a very high level, integrated level, um, with that system in place. So that's kind of a tech side of the story that, like, the UFO community didn't figure out until this thing became more mainstream and we started talking about it. Um, and there's also reports that the um, data bricks, the, the hard drives basically that record this data, were confiscated. Uh, like immediately after those intercepts occurred, very in a very short period of time, and left the carrier strike group under you know custody of Air Force officials. Multiple people have said this. These are sailors. These are average people. These aren't UFO people. These are people that now have come out and said, "Yeah, this was weird. Uh, this is my experience." And yeah, this these uh, the data from the CEC capability was taken. Um, so anyway, for for me as a defense writer, not a UFO writer that watches this, you know, if you were going to test something, um, something that's very clandestine and, and very exotic, if you were to test something or knew, was, or knew something was going to be in an area, you have in, in the carrier, in the uh, Nimitz carrier uh, strike group there, the most robust air defense capability anywhere in the world, bar none, that's it. And that's the first time it was all together in one place at one time. So that does open up the question, and which is I think everybody should be asking, is that is this our technology? Is this something that, that we have that, you know, we wanted to test and, um, and you know, do it without any notice to the, uh, the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group overall? You know, one of the explanations for unidentified flying objects is often, well, the equipment that observing it was malfunctioning. The, what you're saying is that even though this stuff was new, it was state-of-the-art, and it was witnessed by what whatever the Tic Tac was, was witnessed by the eyes of multiple people. Yes, and that's really the key thing, right? So we, you can have, you know, there's reports that during this week of these strange events, which these things are tracked basically from Catalina Island area, which is a very, you know, major military operating area, um, all the way down to sort of, uh, you know, off the Baja coast in, in Mexico, right? That's kind of where these things were flying. And then the one that was actually intercepted was in that Baja coast area. Um, you know, it's one thing if there is, you know, radar anomalies, uh, you know, things happen. Obviously, technology is not perfect, and especially sensors that have to range out over hundreds of miles to, to get a contact. Um, and even electro-optical and infrared systems can have issues, and things can look very different than they actually are. Um, that's not, that's understandable why people would have those questions. But when you also bring the human eye into it, and being there and seeing it and reacting to it and seeing it from multiple angles and it's a physical object and um, that's something that is a different a different level of um, of evidence than than we have with just technology alone. But when you fuse all of those together, when these things are being detected on a RF, you know, radar frequency uh, uh, regime and a electro optical infrared uh, bands, and then going into uh, the visual band, you know, regime where somebody's seeing it with their own eyes, multiple people, okay? To say, that, oh, this was an anomaly in the, in the computers or in the radar system, or this was electronic warfare, um, it just it makes zero sense. Um, you know, and you could go and just say, oh, yeah, it's hologram projections or something. Like, you know, yeah, you could say anything. 
we have no idea what this really was. Uh, that's fine, you know, but it was there. It was physical. And the most highly trained observer you could probably have a look at it was aggressively trying to chase it, and it was reacting to that person in real time and doing maneuvers that aircraft, fixed-wing aircraft using, you know, jet engines just are not capable capable of doing, and the humans inside would not be able to survive. I mean, maybe even electronics inside to a certain extent, too, uh, because of the acceleration and the maneuvers that this thing was seen doing. So this is outstanding evidence. This is not... Uh, two guys on the side of the ship seeing something at night. Um, and now we have a whole nother round of it that happened not just over a week, but happened over many months. And so obviously, if, you know, if this, regardless of what the narrative is, this is interesting. It should be interesting to anybody that's fascinated with military technology and aerospace engineering. All right, let's let's drill down on this object just a little bit if we can. Uh, all right, so looks like a Tic Tac, white, Two little antenna kind of coming out of the bottom of it, presumably. Um, what you said that it was performing maneuvers that equipment inside and human beings probably would not have been able to survive. What do you mean? Like, do we have any idea how fast it was going and how it was reacting as it was being chased? You know, there is um, some people have looked at what uh, Commander Fravor has said and sort of worked out a little bit of maybe how fast it would have been moving, but. Basically, what you have is these things will be able to go from 80,000 feet down to, you know, sea level in a matter of one or two seconds, okay? And that's on radar. Um, that's So, once again, we don't have to take that as fact because, yeah, maybe electronic warfare and whatever. Um, who knows? But when it came to the visual sighting, uh, the craft was able to out, well outperform a Super Hornet that was, you know, aggressively chasing it. And then not on top of that, toward the end of that engagement, or actually that, I'd say the end of it, it shot off so fast that it was literally gone in a blink of an eye, and it showed up at those uh, that that flight's cap point, combat air patrol point, um, where it was supposed to go. That's information also that uh, was not being transmitted openly. Um, that was something that, like I say, this thing seemed to have some awareness to it, where it actually went back to the point that that flight was originally supposed to go in just a matter of a, a second or two. Uh, very fast. Um, the radar operators were seeing it back back where um, those Super Hornets were supposed to be to, in, in an area for training. So we're talking extreme acceleration. We're not talking, you know, like, like a rocket. We're talking just massive, going from zero to hypersonic in seconds, or in, a, in less than a second. Um, it, some people described it as non-Newtonian, you know, meaning it's not being, you know, gravity is not working in the similar way that we're used to seeing with these objects. Um, but these are what we hear from these accounts um, or from this account. And obviously the radar operators saw it do am- these things do amazing, amazing maneuvers. Uh, but we can discount all that. Just just take what we saw in the visual range and take all that other evidence is just more, you know, more circumstantial evidence around it. And just what we know about what was going on in the visual range um, with very highly trained observers, it's absolutely astonishing. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Do you think it's ours? You know, this is something I put forward, and I, this is what I say on this, is I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, I have no idea, no idea what it is. But I think, you know, obviously leaping to aliens or whatever, you know, um, is a big leap when we know for a fact that, you know, we've had a black budget that's gone on for, what, 70-some years <laughs> you know, tens of billions a year dropped into it. Um, we've seen very little come out of that um, as far as hard, like, you know, operational machines, flying machines. And, and of course, the Defense uh, Department and their contractors are going to be interested in the holy grail of aerospace propulsion. Of course they are. So maybe somewhere along the line, they got lucky. It's quite possible. Maybe it's very hard to replicate. Maybe it's a very, you know, uh, you know, it's very. You can't necessarily build a lot of them, but maybe they did. I, 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 there's no way. We have no evidence to say they didn't. Okay, and there's a lot of also, you know, over over the years, people that have come out of the the dark side of the aerospace sector have made mentions that you know we've done incredible things that are very locked up in um, compartmentalized programs, and you know we probably won't see them for a very long time, if ever. I mean, how many aircraft are supposedly just buried out at Area 51? You know, they're just literally in the ground. Uh, once they're done with them, it's cheaper to do that than, you know, than get rid of them otherwise. Um, so I don't know. I think it's something that since we're having people that we trust you know, as, as a society uh, with you know, $70 million aircraft that can do a lot of destruction, I think that we can take their their – um, experiences as valid, and we can start breaking down what it, what we could be saying. Um, but I think looking at what internally is very much needed as, uh, before we jump to conclusions externally. And also foreign foreign powers. You know, I mean, China's no joke. <laughs> you know, they're doing some pretty amazing things, and they, they've caught up a lot, uh, to, you know, to close to parity. And who knows, maybe once again, they got lucky, and um, this is something that they're using to observe us. I have no idea. But I guarantee you, if the Department of Defense is being truthful, and, and there could be multiple layers to this, so, you know, it all depends, and they don't know what this is. They have no idea, and they're trying to figure it out, maybe it's some assumptions. Um then it is something that we should all be aware of and that we should all be, you know, trying to realize that this is something that's happening in our airspace. And it's not a joke, and it's not to be laughed at and people to be ridiculed. Um, it's something to be taken seriously. Well, and the Department of Defense, like you said, seems to be taking it seriously. Can you explain what happened on the Nimitz when they began to report back? Uh, yeah, right. That's a great point. Um, once... Uh, the flight landed, and another one went up, and that's where you see an outflare targeting pod um, video that shows kind of a little tic-tac-looking thing. I mean, it's not high definition. Apparently, the video that they got was very good definition. It's just been degraded so many times um, being passed around. But um, when they landed, uh, they went in and they said, hey, listen, you know, they're, they're freaked out. You know, they're spooked at what they saw. They weren't uh, – nobody's happy to see this type of thing, you know. And uh, they got made fun of. 
you know, in the intelligence area, the tinfoil hat thing, and it went on for apparently for weeks that uh, people kind of laughed at it, even though they had video evidence of it apparently sitting right there. Um, it's embedded in our culture. And, you know, listen, the CIA and, and, you know, the powers that be, we know for a fact, openly and actively perpetuated UFO myths throughout the Cold War to um, guard their own clandestine aircraft projects. Because, you, you know, somebody sees an SR-71 or an A-12 in the sky, it's easy to just laugh them off as, oh, you saw a UFO, another UFO guy. Um, and who knows what else? Like I say, we still don't know what's all come out of that. So there has been a playbook for this. Is it being actively, is this an information warfare campaign? I have no idea. Definitely something to be aware of. And there could be layers of it. Maybe Big Navy doesn't know what it is. Maybe deep inside uh, aspects of the government, they do. I have no idea. But what I do know is is that this this is happening. And these are these are normal people. They're, these are not normal. They're fighter pilots, very accomplished people. And people we should be trusting that are seeing this and reporting it. And there's multiple layers of evidence that we're just uncovering now about it. Let's talk about some of those other layers of evidence. What uh, what are some of the other incidents uh, that have been reported recently? You know, the New York Times has got new stories out. And is the capability of what they've seen similar to what the people of the Nimitz saw? Yeah, so this what we know is that there the sea change in radar technology, this is something we were first to report on, the sea change in radar technology going from mechanically scanned array radars on fighter aircraft apparently helped kind of let let air crews know that these things were in their vicinity. Um, it, going from mechanically scanned array to active electronically scanned array radars, ASR, ASR radars, uh, which the Super Hornet was equipped with after about 2007. They started spiraling them into the aircraft coming off the line. They retrofitted some of them. And, you know, that gives you better fidelity, better range, um, a whole better uh, resistance across electronic warfare. And that system is the APG-79 in those jets. It's, it's gotten better and better as time has gone on. Same time, the Air Force has been having that technology on the F-22 since, you know, operationally since 2005. So nowadays, this is technology has proliferated out far farther than just, you know, the Super Hornet back in 2007. But apparently the change with uh, the squadrons out of Oceana, Oceana in uh, Virginia, specifically VFA-11, which is the Red Rippers, who fly the Super Hornet F, uh, the Foxtrot model, the 2C model. These guys uh, mentioned that once the new radars came in line, they started seeing these things on radar in their airspace, and they tried to chase them down, and some of them got close and uh, even got, like, their AM9X sidewinders would lock on to the signature when they were close to it, but sometimes they couldn't get a visual. Other crews did get a visual um, and saw very strange things. The one that has been reported is basically like a like a um, cube, like a cube, right, a geo geometric cube, inside a field, around fields, almost like a cube in a beach ball type of thing that flew right past them. They almost hit it. And they're they're seeing this thing on radar, trying to find it. And they have that visual, um, that moment where they, they were actually able to get a good look at it as it whipped by. Um, and there's been, from what, I, what I've been told, <laughs> there's so much more. Uh, there's so much more. This was not just one squadron. This was the whole uh, strike group that was getting spun up. And in addition... And this is really important for me to, to make a, a case for is that 
um, when that strike group, which I believe was the Theodore Roosevelt, I, I can't remember exactly the moment in front of me, but when the, they were spinning up in 2014 and 2015 to deploy to the Middle East, once again, that carrier strike group got the latest, newest version of cooperative engagement capability, which is um, allows for actual weapons delivery, um, you know, from remote launching. So basically a super hornet could get a radar uh, target way hundreds of miles away from a carrier strike group and a they could send a SM-6 missile on remote to shoot it down far over the horizon using that radar picture from the Super Hornet. So we're talking real cooperative distributed engagement capability here. This was the first time that that had ever been deployed on that carrier strike group that was working up for deployment. So there is a similarity between these two incidents or these rounds of incidents that happened. Um, and so this went on, this is by their own words, this thing, this situation went on for months until they deployed in, you know, early 2015 timeframe. And even apparently when they were overseas, they had some encounters too with similar objects in the Middle East. Um, so this is, this is temporally speaking, this is happening not, you know, hey, we're talking about a story from the past, you know, 15 years ago. Who knows what people's accounts are and, you know, we're talking about something that's very, very near and uh, time-wise. And those same, that same airspace out there that they're training in, those whiskey ranges, warning ranges uh, off the kind of the southeast seaboard of the United States, they run from Florida up to Virginia. Um, those are used by Air Force aircraft, too, all the time. And the most advanced Air Force aircraft, F-35, F-22, with better uh, capabilities, uh, sensor capabilities, and even the Super Hornet. So who knows what information they're sitting on uh, regarding this phenomenon. Uh, you, you touched on another question I had. I want to see if there's any more information. So we the, the people aren't just seeing things in North America. They're seeing this in theater as well. That was a huge question I had after the New York Times, the most recent piece came out um, before we started hearing more from these pilots. And what we've heard now is that once they deployed and they were in theater, the Persian Gulf, these things started showing up again. Um, or, sim or similar, you know, we, these things are such a hard thing to say here, similar anomalous, you know, aircraft in their airspace that had high performance, uh, crazy performance levels. Uh, at least for time being, showed up over there. I, I don't know enough more about those incidents or, you know, if this was a very isolated scenario or this was over, you know, a large scenario or what sensors saw these or how many eyeballs did. So it's hard to go out right now and say, oh, this happened. This was a big part of the story. Um, but apparently there was something over there um, that, that was similar. And that that kind of, it was almost like it had followed them to a certain extent. All right, let's get let's get weird. Can we get a little weird? Hey, I'm down. Are these incidents at all similar to what we know of, you know, past UFO encounters, older UFO encounters? They sound a little similar. They do. I mean, the the reality is this phenomenon within our culture, maybe not maybe not in reality, but in our culture it goes way back, you know, to the Foo Fighters back in, you know, World War II. Um and, and then farther back, you know, with some people claim. But for me, I think it's really key that to be serious about this and to not get into all the, you know, laughing stock, tinfoil hat world, 
we really need to take the Nimitz case forward um, and look at that because that, that is, you know, that's very relevant to our time frame today. And we have those people are around, they're alive, they, they're, you know, the technology is familiar. I think if we focus more on those as far as analysis and trying to figure out what's going on um, and what's coming out now, I think we're going to be much more successful in letting people uh, live in this space with a little bit more ease that they're not going to be made fun of and they can write an article about it and it's not going to, you know, screw up their career. But yeah, it goes way back. I mean, there's legends and legends and legends and we have, you know, crazy incidents like Randlesham Forest that people still say was, you know, relevant and, Guys like Bob Lazar that said that they were out at Area 51, and many people have tried to debunk it, and parts of it have, and, you know, it's all murk. Um, but then again, it's not too surprising, because we knew, we know for a fact that the government really liked this. This was a positive thing for them, uh, or at least for some areas, because it, it gave them cover for clandestine programs that they were running, um, you know, to develop new weaponry and, and principally aerospace technologies. What do you make of how the brass is reacting uh, and how the Pentagon is conducting itself um, and how it's different from, you know, say the 60s? Well, this is really different because, you know, we, we have hard witnesses of these pilots that weren't told to shut up. And now from the Navy's own public admission, admission which is odd that they go out and talk about this instead of just doing internal change and yeah, maybe it leaks, maybe it gets out, whatever. But they've made a, it was a big commotion. A political article started it about them saying, hey, we're going to change um, how people can report these things. And like once again, this is not just about guys in airplanes and gals in airplanes. This is about sailors under the sea, too, and everything in between. Um, that seems like a good, you know, a good thing to do. I, and not just for UFOs and all that, but, you know, we, like I say, we've got competitors out there that are very interested in what we're up to. Um, maybe something that looks to sailor looks like a UFO, right? Maybe it looks something totally out of this world, but maybe to the right intelligence people, it's can be part of a pattern of sightings of things that might be a capability that the enemy is actually building. And I've always taken an interest in UFO reports because of the same thing. I mean, I, you know, maybe there's a secret program in there that somebody saw, and they just don't know what they're looking at. But with the right eyes, they can more context can be given, and maybe some really good intelligence value can be gleaned uh, beyond the whole you know UFOs thing. So that makes sense to me. We haven't heard much from the Air Force. Actually, we haven't heard anything. Uh, we haven't heard from the other services on this. It'd be interesting to see if they step into this realm. But it's changing, and it's changing on a systemic level. And what that means, I still, I think everybody's questioning it. Um, is this is this information warfare? Is this what is this? Um, we don't know, but at least there's movement, and we do have hard witnesses that we can presumably trust, expert witnesses, average people that were in a place that had a certain job that just saw something or were a part of something that disturbed them. And they can now talk to us more freely. And that's a really good thing. All right, you know what I have to ask now, right? Shoot. Is it aliens? I mean, that's obviously what, you know, pop culture loves to think it is. But like I say, I, I've tried to tell, you know, really push and say, you know, don't think because something looks amazing or has amazing capabilities a technological piece of gear of any type that is just, you know, landed here from another planet. Um, we spend a lot of money in the dark. We shovel it in the, into dark spaces to develop very, very, 
you know, in hopes of developing very exotic technologies. So I think that there's a, you know, I think jumping to that conclusion first, um, I think is worthwhile. So, but I don't know. I have no idea what this is. I, I, you know, and it sounds like nobody else does either, at least that is willing to disclose it and it actually has evidence to back it up. And primarily that's the government. I mean, the idea that if this has been happening for so long, I mean, they haven't been just not interested in it. I mean, you know, that's, that's insanity. Obviously they have. And, um, if it's not theirs, then I'm sure they've been very concerned about, about these things. And they know probably a lot more than they're letting on, but at least, we're seeing progress in that way, and maybe it will change. Maybe it will all dry up. I have no idea, but we are living in an odd time on this subject that is really actually unprecedented. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on to War College and walking us through all of this. Hey, love to be love being here, guys, and uh, you know we'll we'll hopefully get more in the future we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. This is not the end of this story. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. War College is me, Matthew Galt, Kevin Nodell, and Derek Gannon. It was created by myself and Jason Field. If you like the show, please like and subscribe. Leave a review if you're so inclined. You can find us on iTunes and wherever else fine podcasts are casted. We're over on Twitter at war underscore college. We'll see you next week. Till then, stay safe.